You're listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha G. And Lisa Michelle, the show for up-and-coming mental health professionals, advocates, and anyone else who wants to learn more about the mental health field from two not-so-professional professionals. Hello, hello, folks. Hey, guys. Welcome. Uh, Thank you for being here today. If you are a newcomer, we appreciate you being here and giving us a chance. If you're returning, great. Thanks for coming. Always come. (laughs) Return all the time. (laughs) So today we'll be talking about therapeutic use of animals. And so the first thing I'll say is this is an intricate topic, right? <laughs> There's a lot of ins and outs. Um, the other thing I'll say is we don't have all the answers, right? <laughs> so there's that. Um, but what we'd like to do is give you some information today that you will find useful. So why you might want to use animals in therapy, um, what kind of animals can be used. We just want to give you some general information and talk about kind of the benefits of it and what we need to do to move forward and being able to use therapeutic animals and then also talk about the different terms which again is intricate um and a lot and a lot (laughs) there are a lot (laughs) so to start out we'll start with service animals because that's probably the most common term that people know so michelle do you want to start with that Yes. Okay. So service animals. And as always, we're posting all of the um, links and sources in the show notes. But one of, we thought one of the more well-written pieces was from the American Veterinary Veterinary, (laughs) Medical Association. Um, And they have a really solid breakdown of the different types. Um, There are a couple of discrepancies throughout here that we'll address as they come up. But they... Explain that a service animal is one that provides a service to a person in its general form. Mm-hmm. Now, two of the, the big qualifiers are that it has to be a dog or a miniature horse, which, what an animal. What a thought, right. you know? <laughs> I, I actually looked up why a horse, because that seemed bizarre. So a miniature horse is... Um, they, they have a lot of benefits for people who are uh, maybe allergic to dogs mm-hmm. or one of the articles references that people are scared of dogs. That's what um, I was about to say, the fear of dogs. And so a lot of people, I guess, are more comfortable with a miniature horse. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons that the um, Americans with Disabilities Act defines that either one of those, a dog or a miniature horse, is what would count as a service animal. And... and th- I I was just going to say, I wonder, because when I hear the word horse, right, I think big, but Mm -hmm. obviously the specification is that it's a miniature horse. And I wonder if people receive that as more adorable because uh, a horse is big, (laughs) right? And it can be intimidating. So I would think that that would create fears too when you say a horse. But if you think miniature horse, then it kind of reminds you of like a pony, right? And it's like, oh, that's adorable, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So, Well, yeah, and that, I agree. But and I, when we brought up this topic (laughs) and I learned that I texted you and I thought, what? But- Again, um, and then U.S. Service Animals talks about that fear of dogs and then allergies, but also 
individuals who have um, problems with balance and vision, a miniature horse is, is more of a stabilizing animal, mm-hmm. which again, wow, who would, I just wouldn't have thought, I kind of forgot those existed. Right, um, right. But there you go. So that, that service animal, service animals also have specific training and documentation mm-hmm. um, when compared to emotional support animals and therapy animals. Which then, we'll get into uh, in a second. Right. And then again, it performs a task. So, you know, I know someone who has type 1 diabetes and her dog has been able to sense when her blood sugar, you know, bottoms out and can alert her. And it can, you know, fetch something or wake her up or get someone else in the house or the room or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they also can learn how to perform CPR. I remember there was a news segment where the firefighters brought a CPR dog and he let him get, give him CPR when he was on the floor. It was the most adorable thing, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> that's something that they can learn to do too. And then we know that they have dogs that, um, that want people before they have seizures, right? Mm-hmm. So they perform tasks. And then again, lastly, this animal is covered completely under the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act. And they likely could not function at a healthy standard without the animal's assistance. So again, it's providing some kind of life-saving or life-enhancing task. Okay. So then we can talk about emotional support animals, which are different from service animals. And emotional support animals can be any animal. There are certain ones that you tend to see more of, but they can be any animals. So the most common ones you'll see obviously are dogs and horses, also cats. You'll also see animals that are referred to smallies. Adorable also. Right. (laughs) But (laughs) but they're they're called smallies. So that includes like guinea pigs or rabbits. So they can provide the same kind of comfort. I thought rabbits was actually pretty strange because guinea pigs is strange. I think guinea pigs are strange too. I don't I don't I don't want that to (laughs) be my my Thank you. Emotional support animal. <laughs> but I, I mean, obviously some people like them, right? So I guess it can work. But I thought rabbits were strange because I did research on owning rabbits as pets. And from what I learned, they seem to be pretty fragile, right? And so I would would think that that might be a reason that they couldn't be because they're easily startled. They can fall and break bones and stuff. So I would think that might kind of create stress for the person who's using them as a therapy animal or or an emotional support animal I'm sorry so I I just thought that that was kind of strange also a cute fact about rabbits is that they run really fast and they can outrun their predators but they don't outrun their predators because they forget why they're running so (laughs) uh same here rabbit same here (laughs) so there's that (laughs) that's great (laughs) that's so great so another type of common animal that is used for an emotional support animal are reptiles and that Mm -hmm. is being used more commonly in london um all right right that's just something that they told us so Uh, And then also birds, um, which seems strange because it doesn't seem like they would be very emotional. But I do think it's cool that they use parrots and parrots can learn words of empathy, but they 
They also said that they show a high level of empathy, which I wouldn't expect that. But, you know, you can teach them different phrases that can help you calm down. So I thought that was pretty cool. I can get on board with the bird being Mm -hmm. the um, emotional support animal. I mean, I don't know. They seem nice and friendly. (laughs) That's all I got. I've never had a bird. so. But I, I don't know. I guess it's because they're not really like cuddly. So you don't think of them as like... I don't know. I can see a little bird like Nestle's little Right. Head, they get know? next to you. And then especially the ones that dance, because some birds dance. I don't know if they could be used as therapy uh, animals, but, you know, <laughs> they dance with you and keep the beat and stuff. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, so that's something, right? Yeah. So those are the common types of animals that you might see as emotional support animals. So with emotional support animals... They don't have to be trained to do a specific task the way that service animals do or even the way that therapy animals do. But they they do require documentation that they are trained, but it's just not for a specific task. Um, and they have to have documentation that they have been coached for the need of being an emotional support animal. And that's something that, like we talked about a second ago, some of the discrepancies, some websites said that they did, some didn't. And so that's, you know, right. we're kind of still navigating that. Obviously, best practices would say, yeah, be coached for the need. Right. <laughs> and... According to NSAR, the emotional support animal is only protected by the Fair Housing Act and Air Access Acts. They are not protected by ADA, which again is the Americans with Disabilities Act. So they're not covered under that. Right. And that's, you know, I think a lot of people will talk about the rights and illegal and legal issues with emotional support animals. All this means, the the fair housing and the air access, is that if you're, you know, if you're going to rent an apartment, if you have documentation showing that this is an emotional support animal for you, the land, uh, what's it called? Landlord. The landlord um, <laughs> has to accept the pet, whether or not there's a pet policy, and waive the pet fee. So you're not paying a pet fee because it's actually in a treatment for you. Okay, so keep the Fair Housing Act in mind uh, because we'll come back to that and give a little bit more details in regards to emotional support animals. And the Air Access Act um, is for flight. So this is being able to travel with your ESA and it not be considered a pet and, you know, having to pay a pet fee or have the pet cleared separately, you would just treat it as if, you know, essentially an attachment of you and and the pet Mm -hmm. just stays with you during the flight. That's interesting too, because you you see that sometimes when I see animals on a plane, like I always think about why is this animal like sitting next to a person? Because, you know, they're supposed to be like in a different section, but maybe it's an emotional support animal. Never crossed my mind. I don't think I've ever been on a plane with an animal. I have, like a, but, but, and this might be getting into one of these rule breakers that we're going to talk about later, but they've always been ridiculously small pets. So, you know, maybe an emotional support animal, maybe not. Maybe you got permission, maybe not. So, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I, mean, I know I it's not so like much. I was like, hey, I'm airport police and I need to, you know, figure out what you got going on. I just saw an animal, minded my business and kept going, you know. Right. Um, and the last thing on um, the ESAs, the emotional support animals, regarding fair housing and air access is that 
those two acts do not allow you to just traipse around anywhere you want with Mm -hmm. your emotional support animal. You still have to take into account a public place and then privately owned, you know, institutions or organizations. They have their own rules and governing bodies. Fair Mm -hmm. Housing Act just means that you have a place to live and that air access is that you're able to fly with. Um, So just because you have those two things, I think it's, it's easy for people to not jump ship, but say, oh, well, you know, I can live and go places with it, so I'm sure that it'll be fine in Walmart, which is not the case. Not the truth. Um, I wonder, I don't remember seeing anything, like, for other forms of transportation, you know, like if somebody were on maybe a cruiser on a train or something like that. Did you see anything like that? I did not. Um, That's a really interesting point. I didn't see that. But it also could have, well... Yeah, I didn't see it covered. Um, I didn't either. Interesting. Okay, so that's an answer that we don't have. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So let's move on to therapy animals. So therapy animals can be a variety of species. Most commonly, you'll see dogs, cats, and rabbits. Not all rabbits can fit the bill. But if it's a friendly rabbit who's comfortable in a harness um, or comfortable on a leash, I guess it's and comfortable on a leash, right, then they could be useful in therapy. A side note about that, from what we have found, it says that, as we know, service animals do have to have harnesses and leashes. They are required to have that. We have not found information that says that therapy animals or emotional support animals have to have leashes or harnesses. That's just from what we found. Like we keep saying throughout this episode, (laughs) um, the information is pretty convoluted. And then also, you know, There's a lot of different things going into it right now. I think this part of therapy or treatment is still being built. And so the rules Mm -hmm. are either not there or they're changing and becoming more suitable. So keep that in mind that the information is growing and they're trying to put rules into place. So not all of the rules are there yet. And then also, according to AMVA, therapy animals are part of therapeutic and mental health treatment. And so what that means is therapy animals are used to meet specific treatment goals as opposed to emotional support animals who are there for overall support. So they don't have to, like we were saying earlier, they don't have to be trained to meet a specific task. They can just offer support across the board and your therapy animals will be like a specific objective or goal on a treatment plan and your service animals will be providing a specific task usually more medical related like your CPR or alerting you to prevent a seizure or um, the diabetes issue right so those things right Um, the National Service Animals Registry explains that there are three types of therapy animals so you have facility therapeutic visitation and animal assisted therapy. So facility is an animal that's staying in-house. You know, if you have like a residential treatment center or assisted living or nursing home, the animal stays there. You know, it's like the the house pet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they'll come around to the individuals um, and the individuals have opportunity to play with, care for, love on these animals. The next is therapeutic visitation. Now, this one is 
similar, and I had to read it a couple of times to get the difference, but with therapeutic visitation, people bring their pets to those places, so a hospital, a nursing home, mm-hmm. um, resident, well, not residential treatment, but um, any place where you would live and stay. And they do that so, again, those people have the opportunity to love and play with and, you know, cuddle and show affection and emotion with these animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think it's important to note that when people are in residential facilities of whatever sort, they're not able to bring their own pets. Um, right. And what you have to keep in mind is that that can be a source of distress too. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. they're sad because they miss their pets. Um, and so one of the jobs of a therapeutic visitation animal is providing that source of comfort uh, because, because a person might be missing their pet and being distracted from treatment. Right, right. And it can be a beautiful um, and powerful therapeutic experience. I mean, Mm -hmm. getting to show, you know, there's a a lot of difference in explaining uh, showing affection and emotion to something than versus allowing them to actually practice Mm it. So it's a beautiful thing. And then the last one um, is animal assisted therapy. So this is more... PT, you know, physical therapy. So you might have a large dog who's helping, you know, you're walking the dog Mm -hmm. part of your PT um, or doing some kind of exercise or program with it. So it's a little bit more leaning on the the physiological experience than emotion. But again, that's a therapy too. So. Right. But that's also one of the things that makes it kind (sighs) of... What's the word? I don't want to say convoluted again, but that's that's really all I can think of because um, that kind of, to me, that sounds the same as what a service animal would do, you know? So basically for the animal assisted therapy, um, that animal will be at the rehabilitation facility and the physical therapist will go and get the animal when they are trying to help a client work on a specific goal, which like we said earlier is what classifies an animal as a therapy animal is that it can help a client reach a specific goal. Right. So the benefits of animals in therapy are basically the, the benefits that you think of with having pets really so like they help you with empathy they help with your social skills they help with responsibility right Mm -hmm. they improve your mood um and so they can help with uh mental health issues like anxiety or depression and also dementia because those are kind of some of their symptoms they get irritable or they get depressed or confused uh that kind Mm -hmm. of thing so your therapy animals can help with that i'm sure you might have also um, heard about animals helping with PTSD and also we didn't mention in prisons but they have them in some prisons as well which I think is actually pretty cool Um, personally I just like the responsibility part of it I just think I like that that's something the responsibility you know so many illnesses need assistance um, Mm -hmm. with things like maintenance routine Mm -hmm. Um, you, you know I think of like depression or you know someone with a bipolar disorder in a depressive state right. hy- hygienic care i mean if you're giving right, your exactly. your dog a bath 
chances are you might get gross and you'll need to shower. And that can be a great stepping stone to get you into showering. So definitely that responsibility is is so, so helpful with animals. So also I have um, an auntie who has horses and I don't want to misspeak and say that she has like an equestrian therapy facility, but she does rent the horses out to different teenagers I think for the most part if I remember accurately most of the kids are teenagers but she makes them do all of the stuff that they would do Mm -hmm. with therapy so they have to be committed to that specific horse they have to groom them they have to build relationships with them um, clean up after them feed them when they come you know because they're not always with the animals they can't be there for every feeding Um, but you know, I just think that that's really cool and so beneficial, you know, to learn to do that for something, to put that much care into something. Absolutely. And so those can be great reasons to use them in therapy. So on the professional side, if you decide that that might be useful in your practice or even with just a specific client, really put your professional hat on, your best professional mm-hmm. hat. Because it takes a lot of research to be able to get this right. Um, right. um, But also, you know, you want to be diligent anyway. You know, none of us thought in this field to do things wrong or to, you know, hurt clients. You know, we want to be as helpful to them as we can and we want to be able to give them what they need. So, you know, really be willing to do the research and put the time in and see if it can be beneficial in your practice or, like I said, with any specific client, you know, really think about that and look into how you can implement therapy animals or emotional support animals into their treatment, into clients' treatment. And on that note, remember that if you you do include that in part of the treatment, you need to monitor that with your client continually. You know, you wouldn't assign journaling or, you know, kind of give guide them in this practice of something and then never talk about it again. Right. Remember to keep bringing it up and checking in, um, discussing it with the client so that it can be getting its full use. I mean, if you say, I think an emotional support animal will be great and they get a cat and they never, you know, touch the cat and keep the cat in a cage or something. (laughs) Well then the growth isn't happening. Um, so be sure to keep that on the table um, and in regular discussion. So some fun to me, I don't know about to anybody <laughs> else, but some fun information. Um, remember, we said that we were going to come back to the Fair Housing Act. So as with anything, right, if there is a rule, people will break it or try to take advantage of it. Absolutely. And so, you know, earlier Michelle was talking about how with emotional support animals, they have to be documented and they are covered under the Fair Housing Act. And with that, the fees for them get waived. And so because fees are waived and pets are allowed where they might not normally be allowed, then obviously you have people who will take advantage of that and they will create fake documentation for their animals who are not emotional support animals. Animals. animals who have not been trained. And like I said, they fake documentation. And so a lot of landlords are suffering because of tenants who are faking right. those needs. Uh, and so what I found during this research is that there is something called the fake service dog law. 
Okay, I was right. Haha. <laughs> okay. So I want to say that 23 states have laws uh, for fake service dogs. So they have implemented laws to where people who pretend that they have service dogs who don't, they can be fined. Most of the ones I saw were fines. I think I saw one state that might give like um, community service or a really, really short prison sentence. So Florida has a $500 fine and up to 60 days in jail. Iowa has um, 30 days in jail with a fine or both. So there's some states that have pretty short prison sentences. You might get community service and most of them have associated fines for breaking those laws, which I, I, I think that's fair. You know, you absolutely. (laughs) I think that's fair. So there's that uh, fun fact, kind of. Right. Fun for some people. Right. Um, Same kind of situation happening with airports, airlines as well. AP News had a really cool article from like maybe a couple months ago talking about how there could be changes to that coming up because people have been abusing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and let me just be honest, I completely agree that there need there needs to be some sort of regulatory body checking in on this. Right. Um, for And I'm not talking service animals, because again, mm-hmm. for it to be a legitimate service animal, it does have to be trained. Right. Um, and they have regulatory bodies, right? They have people you have to answer to. You know, with some of these animals, the ESA, especially if someone's faking an ESA, um, they're not trained to hold they're needing to go to the bathroom or not bark at every person they see. And mm-hmm. so that's that's part of the training is that they can't just go wild, but then it's fine if they're with you, you know. Right. So there, there's my two cents. But with flights, some of the numbers are really interesting. So again, AP article says, Southwest Airlines handles more than 190,000 emotional support animals per year. American Airline oh. carried... 155,790 emotional support animals in 2017, which was up 48% from the year before. Wow. Um, Which is wild. (laughs) Um, That is so many. So, you know, people do abuse these rules. Go ahead. Sorry. I I was just going to say that I guess like to put it into perspective, when I first hear that number, I think okay, that sounds like people are pretending that they need service animals or emotional support animals. But also you have to remember that the style of treatment is growing, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe Mm -hmm. that was just that huge jump accounted for the huge jump in practitioners who started using that, that style of treatment. You know, which I'm fine with. And I'm I mean, sure I hope it, that it goes. That I'm way. sure it's probably a bit of both. Uh, <laughs> you know, For sure. Not to be naive about it. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's a great thing. Like we we just talked about that, but again, don't let your clients or don't be the person who fakes it and tries to bend the right, rules a little bit. Right. Um, if your animal's not trained, your animal's not trained. Right. Um, I I have known a flight attendant who shared a story about an animal being on a flight that was the most buck wild thing I have ever <laughs> heard in my entire life. And it made me realize, yeah, people are out there faking it um, mm-hmm. with these animals. And that puts other people at jeopardy. Again, mm-hmm. people have allergies. People are afraid. Right. People have actual phobias. Um, right. People can get hurt. I mean, 
people can get bitten or scratched or hit. Right. Um, by some and of these that's things. just that's just the people without the the need for a service animal. Think about the people mm-hmm. who get affected by that, who need the actual animals. Absolutely. You know, you Absolutely. hurt them too because then they put in put laws in place that affect where and how they can use their animals. And that, you know, we talk about advocacy a lot in mm-hmm. on the show, but then in in the field that's something to advocate for i agree that things are getting done correctly so it doesn't put other people whether it's people who have the animal or get hurt by an animal that it doesn't affect them in a dangerous way right um and also you know remembering to advocate for accrediting bodies and people Mm -hmm. who having somebody for the people who train the animals, mm-hmm. uh, having people for them to answer to. And, you know, a lot of times we run from that, but it really can be beneficial overall because then you know where to go to get information, right? You know where to go to say, these people accredited us. This is who we answer to on a regular basis, right? They create our standards. We know that we're doing the right thing and taking the right measures because our accrediting bodies told us to. You know, these are the policies of that specific accredited body that we get to follow right absolutely i couldn't agree more so overall don't be afraid to discuss emotional support animals or therapy animals with your clients right don't be afraid Mm -hmm. to use them in therapy i think it can be a great tool obviously it's not for everybody Right. But um, (laughs) which what part of therapy is. Right. (laughs) Um, Mm, So, you know, (laughs) think of it as just one tool in your toolbox. And sometimes you may need it and sometimes you may not. So don't be afraid of that. Absolutely. Um, So, Aisha, if you could have an exotic off the wall animal as your emotional support animal, what you going to (laughs) choose? Um, I don't know if mine is considered exotic, um, but I would love to have an otter. Um, and I want an otter because I think that they would be emotionally supportive. I think it is so adorable that they hold hands all the time. in their sleeves so I think that they would definitely be affectionate um and also they live in water and you know water can can be its own source of therapy right um physically and and mentally it can definitely help you relieve stress and stuff like that so me maybe visiting the otter um maybe at the aquarium or if I had to have a pond where I could have my own otter I, I just think that'd be really cool oh uh, wait a minute am I being the otter or am I using the otter either one I'm fine with what <laughs> I wasn't. Did you just ask what? I wasn't sure if the question was what what therapy animal would I be or what therapy animal would I have? But an otter is not a therapy animal. Right. What? That is so dumb. I wasn't sure of the question, so I had to make sure I answered the actual question. Gracious, I'm sorry. So Stop judging. I- <laughs> So, I would my favorite animal is an anteater, but I don't think that would be any kind of emotionally supportive. Um, they don't look very don't friendly. That would, yeah, no, I don't. I have seen one in real life, and I was so excited. But um, I think I would, I would be really interested to have like a chinchilla because I think they'd just be like how affectionate it could just come sit on my <laughs> shoulder and be cute. 
um, and cuddle and be sweet. And then you'd have to take care of it because it's so right. little. Right. I feel like that would intimidate so. me. I don't want nothing that small. I do. <laughs> otters are not very large, are they? Do they, they get big? They... Listeners, do otters get very large? <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> This is the silliest question. Chris is going to have to cut all of this. None of this is going to be. Well, um, okay. So we want to know your opinions. Are you using animals in therapy? Have you ever been <laughs> Michelle's, <laughs> the word that she hates the most. Have you ever been prescribed an animal to use in therapy? <laughs> Tell us about that uh, if you have had that experience or if you have uh, used it in helping to treat a client. Tell us about those experiences. Also, mm-hmm. tell us what you think about using them for therapy in general, if you think that's a good practice or why you might be concerned about it. And also, tell us what fun animal you would like to use. I, absolutely. And if, and again, otters, do they get very large? <laughs> they, please they let have me know. Some <laughs> that are small and then some that are, um, like, I, I don't know if you call them like medium size, but they don't get very large though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, folks. See you guys next week. Oops, that's the wrong button. listening to the counseling clinic with Aisha Jane and Lisa Michelle. Remember to check out our website at thecounselingclinicpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at the counseling clinic podcast. We'll see you guys next week for our next session. Bye guys. The music provided by scottholmesmusic.com and our show is edited and produced by Chris Luke.